as you can see on the screen, the compilers of the lectionary have chopped and diced uh, our reading for today. And if you're of a mind, you could go home and read the rest of that part of Mark chapter 7 and see the bits that they've decided to leave out. And you can play the game that most preachers play. wonder why they left that out. And um, there's lots of possible reasons and, and uh, there's some really interesting stuff which kind of fills out the reading in other ways. But we're going to stick with the, with the lectionary and read just the verses that we've got. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For you see, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. Adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is without washing them. I love this part of the text because it says they, they noticed, as if they just happened to be there, just happened to notice, wasn't sort of what they were there for. Jerusalem is a three-day walk to Galilee. No one just happens to be there. None of the leaders, the Prime Minister just doesn't happen to be wandering around Norwood one afternoon. It doesn't work that way. They were there to gather evidence. We already know this because back in chapter 3, we're told that the Pharisees and the Herodians, uh, the sort of sect, uh, the, the, the faction of politics that was stuck uh, on the King Herod and his entourage, they'd already gotten together to, um, to figure out how to destroy him, Mark chapter 3 says. Not a very comfortable alliance, but they were doing it. So they didn't happen to be there, and they didn't happen to be noticing. This was a plot. But that underlying thought, so what? This is no... This has no meaning to us if we think it's about washing rituals. They were fine rituals to be had if you were a good Jew at that time. But of course, if we recognise it as a desire to be clean, that when you wash your hands, 
we understand it, and I'm sure they did too, that they didn't have germ theory as we do, but they understood that there was some value physically. We understand it a great deal, particularly these days. But what the ritual's really about is not the washing, it's about what it exemplifies inside, the idea to be able to live clean and right, to be in right relationship with the world. And who doesn't want to live cleanly in the world? And who doesn't want to live rightly? A sense of at-homeness. I always think about us as the, we are the uncomfortable animal. We're the animal that never quite settles down. If a dog doesn't have anything to do, it just lies down and has a sleep. If we've got nothing to do, we fret. Because there are things we're supposed to do and, and things that must be finished and we're not a very comfortable at home animal. We don't belong in the way that we want to be. We're not often at home in our own skin. There's a famous quote from the uh, French philosopher Blaise Pascal who said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. You might know the quote, it's very famous. All of man's problems, all of humanity's problems, stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. We are the uncomfortable animal. So a ritual that leads us towards a life of cleanness in the world, a life of righteousness, of rightness, of at-homeness, of connectedness. There's nobody who doesn't want that. So how do we get that experience? Well, we do the rituals that mimic what we want on the inside. We do on the outside what we want to be true for us on the inside. And we do that with lots of things. If we're good Jews, we wash ourselves and we wash our stuff. Does it work? Well, by the look of it, in this text, no, it doesn't. Because somehow it stops being a helpful ritual to remind me of who I am and the way I truly want to live. And it becomes a marker of who's in and who's not. A little bit like the quite harsh text that Richard read us from Psalm 15. If we do it right, then we're on the inside. If we do it wrong, then we're on the outside. We do it particularly in the church with what we call the Eucharist or communion or the Lord's Supper or the Mass. There are all kinds of rules about who's in and who's out. There's all kinds of ways of doing it that prove that we're on the inside and everyone else isn't. We do it about doctrines, about who's on the inside and who's on the outside. The Uniting Church at the moment is split down the middle over whether or not we should allow gay and lesbian people to marry and whether or not the church should officiate in those weddings. And we've allowed ministers and congregations to make that choice individually. A minister can choose or not choose, and a congregation can choose or not choose to have a, a ceremony of that, uh, of that relationship in their building. But it's split us down the middle because we have markers about who's allowed and who's not allowed, who's in and who's out. We do it with language. I get frequently get letters that write, Dear Pastor, and then I almost know exactly what the letter's going to say after I read just that because they've already assumed a particular way of doing church. Uh, it's usually fairly Pentecostal. and I've got no problems with that at all, but it's in those denominations that they call themselves pastor or lead pastor. 
And I don't know what the other pastors are called, follow pastors and so anyway. Um, but we don't use that language. And so I feel already excluded from whatever it is they're talking about. Now, it's not much. I know what they're, 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 they're writing to the leader of a congregation. I get that. But, you know, it's those little things that make a difference. So does it work? Well, apparently by the time Jesus got there, no, it didn't. It be, become a ritual to decide who was right and who was wrong, who was in and who was out. And who turned up to check that? The leaders. Where do they come from? Three days' walk from Jerusalem. It's time to bring down the law. St. Simeon, the, the, uh, the new theologian, was uh, banished from the church. I don't think he was ever excommunicated, but he was banished from the church and went to live out in the desert and was one of the, um, uh, the instigators of the Desert Fathers movement. But he did that because he was pushed out of the church because everybody knew what was right and what was wrong, who was in and who was out, and he was out. But Jesus says this, there's nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but it's the thing that come out which defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. The truth is, we're all the same. The truth is, it doesn't matter how cool I look in my dress. And I do, right? Say yes. It doesn't matter how good my haircut is. It doesn't matter how brilliant my education has been. It doesn't matter how much money I've got. I am exactly the same as everybody else inside and I don't want you to know that. And Jesus tells the truth. Nobody wants to hear this. Nobody wants to hear that we're all exactly the same except that sometimes when you're able to admit the truth to yourself and maybe to one other person, you get freed from it a bit, don't you? This is why the, the Catholic Church has this genius idea of confession, that you can go and say the truth to somebody. This is why we go and see psychologists and psychiatrists, because they give us the opportunity to say out aloud, there's many other reasons too, but they, one of them is that they give us the opportunity to say out aloud to someone who won't judge us what the truth of what it feels like to be me, the terrible thoughts I have, the stupid habits I've got, and so on and so on and so on. We use markers to determine who's in and out. God sees the heart. There's this great story, and I'm sure you know it if you went to Sunday school, Samuel the prophet has to go, Saul the king is rubbish. He's done all kinds of terrible things. God says it's time for a new king. Samuel, go out and get one. Go to this place. So Samuel goes, there's a whole bunch of uh, young men in this family and he immediately goes to the tallest and the strongest and the oldest and he says, obviously this is the one God has chosen. But we know the story. God chooses the one who's not even there to start with, the weakest and the youngest. Like Just that story in itself. Isn't that extraordinary? What God will choose. Maybe God's choosing this little bloke who's still counting his money. It's still all about the money. He's not even present to what's going on. Maybe. The Lord, uh, God speaks to Samuel and says, because Samuel doesn't understand, like, I've got the best guy. It's obvious. I mean, we know how this works. He's got to be tall. He's got to be strong. He's got to be a good warrior because otherwise we're in serious trouble. Here he is. God says, the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
I don't want the Lord to look on the heart. Because I've got a rough idea of what my heart looks like, the centre of me. And I am, I'm not that proud of it. And, and I bet I don't even know how bad I am. And if you ask the people who love me and live with me, they'll quite happily point out some things that I didn't even know about that I'm rubbish at. Which is helpful. God doesn't look on the outside, he looks on the heart. So why, why don't these rituals work? What is Jesus doing here? Why do they not? I mean, you can really do them well and they still don't seem to matter because Jesus says, and this is, I reckon, the saddest verse in the whole Bible, you abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. What's the commandment of God? Well, already in Mark we're told it's to love God and to love each other. It's just to love. Because Jesus, see, one of the weird things about Jesus, and Paul has the same thing, there's no distinction between people, and there's no distinction, as Simeon points out in his poem, between us and God. So it's just about love all the time. It's love. To love and experience God and each other as if we were one. That's the commandment of God. And you abandon that, and what do you gain? Nothing. What did Esau gain in uh, Genesis when he abandoned his birthright for a mess of pottage, a bowl of lentil soup? He abandoned his birthright for nothing. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says, they, 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 live, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. We're giving up something wonderful for nothing. There is good news. It's the other side of that. Or there's a pearl of great price. You can sell everything you have to get it. There's a treasure in a field in the Gospel of Matthew where you dig it up and it, everything comes alive. What can a person give? It says in Mark's, Mark chapter 8, what can a person give in exchange for their life? Not a damn thing. Nothing. Because if you exchange it, you get nothing. The rituals don't work because we don't engage deeply and intimately with God the way St. Simeon tells us we can and are all the time. We just need to recognise it. It's just these last words from St. Simeon that we've read. Then open your heart to him. And let yourself receive the one who is opening to you so deeply and in him transformed and in him recognised as whole, as lovely and radiant in his light. We awaken as the beloved in every last part of our body. So be it.